Hello and welcome to episode 302 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the singer and songwriter Willie J. Healy. What I do on this podcast is I have quite a lot of famous names, but I also love to bring people new artists. But this time round, it's a bit different. He is established, he's doing really well. He's been on tour with the Arctic Monkeys and Florence and the Machine. But I've only recently discovered him, so I'm not going to say that I've been there from the start. I haven't. I've only just started listening to Willie's album. But do you know what? I'm not just saying this. Since I interviewed him and since I've then gone on and listened to the album, I've absolutely fallen in love with him. His album Bunny is out now and it's just beautiful. The best way I can compliment him is basically, for me it sounds like George Harrison never died. That's the sort of style, the music, and it's beautiful. It feels like a trip back in time, but to with today's production, and it's just stunning. The good news is, as we're sitting here right now, Willie's announced a tour with various dates across the UK, and I urge you to go and get a ticket, because he's just phenomenal, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for him. This is what I love about Mark and me. People discover brand new artists, and I've discovered a new artist because they're doing this podcast. Now, as always, in true typical Mark and me fashion, I always use the intro for every episode just to quickly touch base and talk about my last episode. I was joined on the last episode by Jonathan Stafford, the frontman for one of my favourite new bands, Haunt the Woods. A massive response, a huge amount of downloads, I hope so many people have gone and checked out the band now, and that's all I want people to do from this podcast. So if you've enjoyed that episode, thank you so much for listening, and if you're listening now and haven't, go back and listen and invest your time in Haunt the Woods. Just an amazing band. But today it's all about Willie. Willie J. Healy, a name you're going to hear so much more of. He's absolutely awesome. I can't wait to share this interview with you, so let's do it. Here's me and Willie talking all things music. So, Willie, thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. What I like to do with all guests that come on the podcast is take it right back to the very start. So, talk to me when you were growing up. What was that first album that you remember buying, maybe with pocket money, or was handed to you from a friend or family member that made you fall in love with music? I had um, a Rolling Stones compilation album that nice. uh, I thought was an actual album. I didn't know that it was a compilation and I thought it was the best album of all time. <laughs> hit after hit after hit. You're like, wow. Yeah, honestly, I thought, wow, Rolling Stones is so good. Like, this album's unbelievable. <laughs> and I listened to it nonstop. Uh, and I think that was the first time I, I had a kind of physical CD that I loved. You know, I obviously grew up listening to music that my parents liked, but that was my first thing that I had. Um that uh, left a mark on me. Brilliant. And music kind of changed for me when I first went, and I'm a bit older than you, but I went to see live music. Uh, when I was about 12, I saw Green Day live, um, and they blew my mind. I couldn't believe that there was only three people at that stage on a stage in Wolverhampton, and it was on their Dookie tour, and it was just fucking unbelievable. Um, can you remember, even if it's embarrassing, one of the first gigs you went to? 
Um, gosh, I went to. I remember I went with some friends to see Bombay Bicycle Club when I was a teenager, um, and I think that maybe was one of the first times I had been to a gig like that, where it's like dark in the room and they were like the lights were all crazy and the band were really loud and i i think maybe for the only time ever i stood right at the front um because i think my friends wanted to be at the front and it really kind of blew my mind um yeah i think that was probably the one i can remember there was also lots of local bands and, and i used to go and watch a band called spring offensive who were um from oxford and i would watch them i think that was maybe one of the other ones there at a similar time but um, Bombay Basketball Club, yeah, they had an album called I Had the Blues, but I Shook Them Deuce or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I haven't heard them it. for years. Literally, I haven't heard them for years. So I need to go back in and listen because I used to love what I heard of them. Yeah, well, me neither. I don't really listen to them anymore. I think it was something I loved when I was a bit younger. But I remember seeing them live and just kind of having my, my head blown off. Yeah. So when was it you kind of started writing music? Was it during your kind of school days? Yeah, I I think I got a guitar. I I kind of pretty much started writing music as soon as I got a guitar because yeah. I I had already kind of figured that I could get attention by learning covers, but I could get even more attention from friends and family if I played the songs that I had um, written myself. And I think I would have been about 13 maybe, 12 or 13. Um, so I was at school. I kept it secret from all of my friends. Um and I would sneak off at lunchtime to to play guitar with all the other, um, you know, musical weirdos. <laughs> Did you do that whole kind of battle of the bands thing or anything like that? Or no, I was way too. Yeah, no, I was way too. Um, you know, I I would I did, would would have probably you know rather been swallowed by a black hole than to have been seen playing music by any of my friends. I was very embarrassed and shy about it. So it it was quite a long time after I started writing songs that I um, played in front of anyone I knew. Can you remember that kind of breaking point when you um, felt enough confidence within yourself? Because if you're a bit of a recluse and a bit nervous and shy, you know, standing up in front of your friends and playing a song is fucking terrifying. Um, I think it was a gradual thing that that happened kind of over the years. I I got more and more, uh, it got more and more out of control. Let's say, like, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't avoid it. I was writing a lot of music and playing lots of songs, and I really just wanted to play shows. Um, but I think it would have been I joined a band, I think, or, or someone filmed me. That was what it was. Uh, somebody at school had filmed me playing a um, a song and put it on YouTube, and that was the first time I was like, oh my god, everyone's going to see this. Um, and it wasn't that I was particularly shy. I was just shy about music because all of the friends that I had at school were, were um, you know, we loved football and sport and music wasn't really something that I thought was, you know, cool enough in a way. You know, it was like not not something I associated with back then. So it was a bit confusing for me. Um, but, yeah, I think it was when I... Um, somebody filmed me playing a song and and put it online 
do you, do you have a supportive family that were like we believe in you you should go out there and do it or were they always kind of like you need to get a real job and then hopefully fall back on this or did they give you the full faith in them what you could do full faith always yeah very lucky that's awesome yeah my my parents and my sisters have always been so supportive and if anything kind of maybe even dangerously so when i hear when i listen back to what i actually sounded like you know they they always filled me with confidence and encouragement and um you know at the time i thought yeah okay I'm, i've got something going on here and then i listen back now and i'm like oh my gosh they were just so kind of supportive they um obviously were biased so correct me if i'm wrong but with your debut album it was released obviously on columbia records which is quite a big name um quite mm. a big back in did you feel like it was too much too soon was it quite a lot of pressure on yourself were you like fuck like would you have rather have done lots of indie work slowly building up and releasing stuff via stuff like spotify and building a name or do you think that was probably even though it didn't work out the right thing for you at that point yeah i think it i have no um regrets and certainly at the time you know i wasn't aware of anything really i didn't have any experience or any idea of you know how the music industry works so in my mind that's that's always what i wanted to do i wanted to sign a record deal because i thought that that was making it really and um i did and i was very happy and um quite chuffed with myself and also kind of completely oblivious to the pressure that might come with that I just did my own thing and that's probably part of the reason among many others why um it didn't work because I just I think I thought I was Bob Dylan <laughs> you know I was <laughs> like this is great this is the plan you know sign a deal like I wasn't if you know if that happened to me now I would understand that kind of how rare that opportunity can be but at the time I was so confident and so kind of I just expected it and I thought this is this is what I wanted and I've got it and that's great and this is what the rest of my life is going to be like um but I was obviously very naive and, and green but um in a way I think it it worked out for me that, that I was like that because I just got on with it and and I didn't really listen to what anybody told me to do it's all a lesson isn't it and then i suppose with the release of twin heavy i suppose were you then more aware of the consequences and you aren't bob dylan at that point you've got to kind of listen to more people around you or kind of make a few different changes in the decisions you make yeah i mean i still feel like bob dylan now um <laughs> never stop feeling like bob dylan yeah i'm still you know i'm my big my own biggest fan in many ways because I think you have to be sometimes because there's not a lot else to, to go by but um, I certainly after having you know signed to Columbia and then being dropped by Columbia and then signing a new deal which is completely different I think I then saw you know that whole period of time for what it was yeah and um, yeah definitely learned a lot you know like I learned a lot and I learned a lot about myself and I think I have things that I'm proud of, you know, that I kind of stuck to my guns and, um, you know, did my thing. But there are also things I'm like, ah, okay. If that opportunity were to come my way now and it was the right thing for me to do, I would probably 
be in a much more kind of um experienced position to to really make the most of it because i think you know at the time i just i didn't take it for granted i always worked hard and you know i saw it as a huge opportunity but i also thought that's just how it worked you know i thought that's what happens to people that write songs they get signed what's the dream like you said you literally, literally use those words it is any guy who picks up a guitar or writes a song is to get a big record deal that's that's the goal yeah i think that's you know unless you you have family members or friends who have experienced that type of um thing already and can tell you what it's really like you all you have to go by is the, that kind of old cliche and, and the stuff you see in films and you know it's like you get yourself a record deal and then you're good yeah you buy a mansion and live happily ever after in la yeah, yeah and everybody hears your music and wrong <laughs> <laughs> and you never have to get a day job you know it's like but you know obviously now i i'm more experienced and i have a better understanding for how things work i think if you look back at the last year obviously in support with the bunny album getting to support florence and the machine and an arena tour is that for you a golden ticket to kind of go there know that with full respect most people are there for florence and the machine but your chance to kind of win people over and kind of hope that somebody leaves that night saying who is that guy and where can i get his album and i might get a bit of merch or a vinyl you know yeah i mean i i fully went into we did two like kind of big support tours we we did florence and then we supported arctic monkeys which is insane yeah which is you know amazing for a band of like somebody at my on my scale to then be kind of thrust in front of that many people but luckily for me, you know, I've spent quite a while now playing shows and, and doing the dance and doing the thing, you know, that when an opportunity like Florence, the Florence opportunity or the, the monkeys opportunity comes along, I was like, I'm ready to somersault through this hoop um, and land it perfectly because I've spent all of this time figuring out what's good and what's bad and learning things and, you know, ha having that kind of, I've had the miserable Tuesdays in in Norwich um, <laughs> when people come to see you, you know, I've had all of that. And that's always just around the bend, you know, that kind of thing is, is always is always there, never too far away. But I think that really allowed me to go into that situation like, yeah, I'm going to win somebody over, whether they like it or not. You know, it's like there's no um, other option here. And... I think something that I learned in doing that was that the only way I could win people over was actually just to be myself because I went into it thinking like, I'm going to win everyone over. I'm going to be Bruce Springsteen. And I think the response I got was great. But then the more I got used to like the away, the away crowd, the more I realized actually there's no one else like me ever in the world. You know, there's only I can bring this weird little thing that I do just like the next person can, you know, they're the only person that can bring that. So really to win people over, I have to be myself. And yeah, I went into those tours with just kind of my foot all the way, you know, down the throttle was firmly pressed. Against it, it's the floor. amazing. And it's great that you're so confident and kind of, you know, you wanted to land it every time, but going against someone like Arctic Monkeys, trying to warm up a crowd for them, which, 
their fans aren't just like, oh yeah, Arctic Monkeys are okay. Like you're obsessed. You either absolutely love Arctic Monkeys or you just don't know them. What's it like every night? Were you were you nervous? Were you thinking shit? Like this is a lot of people and a great opportunity, but at the same time, like you know, like I've got to go and do this. I think there's always, you know, it's there's always an element of that, you know, like people aren't there to to see you, especially when it's a band of that scale where their fans are so diehard. But a couple of things that I, you know, that pleasantly surprised me. Well, the first one was that their audience was actually really receptive. Yeah. And I think I wasn't quite prepared for the clout maybe among that audience that comes from being part of the tour already. I think they were like, well, this is, this must be worth watching because otherwise they would, you know, this person wouldn't be here. So that was a really nice surprise because I expected, you know, I, I could, I, it could have been the opposite. It could have been people throwing pints of piss at me, <laughs> but that's the case. Um, and, you know, I think for the first, the, the only show I felt really kind of slightly worried about was the first one because I, I'd never done anything like that. And it was the same on the Florence tour. That first one kind of, I felt a bit spooked and I thought, how on earth do I do this? But, you know, like Florence does her thing and she's amazing at what she does. And you're not going to, you're not going to um, better that. You know, you're not going to, there's no point even trying. So the way I approached it was like, well, I'm different. And what can I do that maybe you don't see in a, in a Florence show or that what can I say that Florence maybe wouldn't say to her fans? And the same with the, you know, Arctic Monkeys. It was like, what is Alex Turner not probably not going to do? Yeah. What makes me different to Arctic Monkeys? And I think that's really the angle that I felt most comfortable um, kind of reaching for because, you know, it's like these bands are amazing and they're, they're so experienced and they're so good at what they do. That there's There's a lot to learn, but there's also kind of like, you know, you have to stay in your, figure out what your lane is and it can really help you do that. You go, well, I'm not, I'm never going to be Alex Turner, um, but but I'm me and this is what I do and I, you know, I hug people and I smile and I sing my songs like this and, you know, I whatever it is, that's, I think that's the whole point of it and I, it took me a little second to realise that. Did you feel that you kind of had to change your persona or the way that your music's played because the crowd is so different because obviously a Florence show is very different to an Arctic Monkey show or did you just go out there and sincerely be yourself and just hope that would be enough? I think that I, we definitely tailored the set list. You know, we picked the songs we felt were most appropriate for um, the slot we had. You get 40 minutes sometimes you know, 45 if you're lucky. So it's a bit like all, you know, it's all go and just, so I didn't, I didn't, we, we didn't change the way we played the songs, but we definitely, I definitely had to think about which songs would have been the right move, you know, to kind of try and keep people engaged for as long as possible. Um, and uh, I think if anything, I found my persona and I don't think I'd really ever been forced to do that before. I was, you know, it's like, well, what do I have to offer here? 
like I found myself in front of 60,000 people in Madrid. Um, and you're like, what am I actually offering? And you quickly learn it's like fight or flight. And this is what I offer. And because of that crazy situation, I didn't get time to think about it. I just had to do it. I love that. And I suppose coming away from those tours then releasing your album and now gearing up for the end of this year going out on your own and doing the uk tour of your band how how does that feel is that a completely different mindset is it kind of well this is my show now and i'm still going to do it how i want but does it feel less restricted does it feel like you, you can just go out there and do what you want i think that it's different you know it's like don't want to patronize people that already um, have, you know, lived with my music and supported me over the years. It's like, I don't, you know, I, I couldn't think of anything worse than going out there and treating them like, like people that don't know me or that don't know the songs. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I think I've learned a lot and we've played a lot this year and I, you know, I feel like it's put us in good stead as a band to know what, kind of what we we can offer and to feel confident in that um in terms of like changing things i guess you know there's scope to play songs that are dynamically a little bit different it, it doesn't always have to be fast songs that are like loud can play some of the kind of more subtle songs and um you know i just want to take that energy that i had and that kind of fight that i think you have to have in you to support somebody on on that kind of scale and i want to just you know not kick the, the like front doors in completely at those shows because people are there to see something and you know i think it's important that they they come away feeling like they've seen something and how do you kind of go about feedback? Do you ever go out there and I talk to a lot of film directors and movie makers and even as a podcaster myself, I try sometimes to just shut the door and not read reviews or comments because for the hundred people that say it's your favorite podcast, the one that says it's shit really hits hard and you're like, ah, you bastard. So yeah. do you kind of look at, obviously there's been really good reviews out there in DIY magazine, the independent, um, I read one the other day, I think it was the guardian that put you down as one to watch for the year. Do you look at all that sort of stuff or do you just kind of lock yourself away and think, you know, I don't want to see the, the, the trolls or the bad people that will put me down. I think I haven't, you know, thus far, um, luckily for me, I haven't been exposed to that much of that type of thing. Um, but the times I've seen it, um, yeah, I mean, it's not very nice, but, I think that, you know, a good review and a bad review really aren't that different if you, you know, if you treat them as an opinion. And I've had good reviews that are so mundane and so kind of like look like they've been written based on an, a, another review that it means nothing to me. You know, you can see sometimes a bad review is like, it looks like it took more effort. And I read it and I go, huh, I completely disagree. But I mean, it's kind of cool that that person has taken the time to hate this. Yeah. Um, but in, I, I guess I do see stuff. I, you know, people send me stuff and I see things, but 
it's nice that people like stuff and I think anyone that says that they don't enjoy that would probably be telling fibs um but I've never really been that um you know I, d I don't know it's never affected me that greatly and maybe that's because because of the scale that I've done things so far but I think the 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 landscape of kind of press and media us they're kind of changing I think and I you know from what I'm told there would have been a time that a bad review really could have left a, a mark and you know lots of people would have read that bad review and and you know taking that opinion into mind when listening to something they haven't heard but I think things are different now I you know I think it's a bit like the wild west out there online and if somebody's taking the time to read a review then you know cool <laughs> no you're right and do you know what um it's so true because you like religiously rely on if Kran gave something a good review or enemy but a lot more people care about what the fans think now so if it's a fanzine or just someone's blog or just someone that loves a podcast and talks about albums people are kind of happy to discover these bands for themselves now you know you're not relying on a mixtape or cd on the front of a, a melody maker or an enemy magazine i sound like a granddad but it's true and yeah it's fucking great that bands can go out there and they can't get destroyed by a bad review even from the big huge huge uh, journalists like the guardian and stuff some people will then turn around and be like well fuck you like we love this band and it doesn't matter if you slag them off like we still yeah. love them I think, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Things are, aren't so kind of curated anymore. I think people have the ability to go and find things for themselves. And that's not to say that, you know, press and reviews aren't important because obviously they are and it's nice to get them. But things are a little bit different. And I think there's certainly less from where I sit anyway. You know, I don't have to deal with that stuff very often. So I'm sure there are lots of people that tell me otherwise, but as far as my mind stretches it's like that doesn't really it it's not irrelevant but it's not it doesn't hold the weight that maybe it once did and you know that's good and bad because also there's lots of good reviews that maybe people aren't seeing or people aren't kind of reading with the same mindset that they they used to so with the tour coming up do you kind of try and get a set list that will be good for the fans but also at the same time play a lot of new music so it keeps you inspired obviously as a you don't want to keep playing the same songs you've played for three or four years but a, the fan that's bought a ticket will want to hear those songs but at the same time do you try and slip in quite a few new songs so it, it basically keeps you excited i think i've always wanted to strike the balance you know i know some people say people don't know what they you know they need sometimes and stuff like that and i kind of get that and i think that's cool and you know art is art and music is music and blah 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 but ultimately for me i like i like to see people having fun and i think that's a good way of introducing someone to a new song it's not to kind of put them on the back foot it's to give them a combination of like hey this is why you're here and this is a nice moment we're all sharing together because we know where we stand with this song and here's something you haven't heard in between a couple of songs you have. Um, I think it depends what kind of show you want to put on. And it gets to the point, I mean, I guess I'm getting to the point where I've put out three albums now and EPs, so we can't play everything. No. 
maybe the first time for the first time in the past couple of years it's like there's always somebody that's like oh i wish you would have played this they'll say I, you know i love the show but i wish you would have played this and that's starting to happen more and more and i think it's just like you know unless you're going to play for three hours which people don't want <laughs> nobody wants springsteen exactly unless you're springsteen people don't really want to stand around for three hours i don't i don't think so you know i do try and get i try and kind of get songs that fit together and get songs that go down well um but having said that there are songs that people really like that that we don't play and i think it's because i don't you know i feel like we do other songs better so it's just, are you uh, are you in the process? Even though the album's only been out in August, are you already kind of putting pen to paper for new stuff to keep yourself kind of going? I'm always, yeah. I mean, I think I've got another, you know, album's worth already. That's really. exciting. Yeah, which is a good good feeling. And I've, you know, um, obviously I need to dig into that and see what I've what I'm really working with. But I finished Bunny, you know, and the writing of Bunny even, you know, longer, you know. For, for, it's been something like two years since it was recorded. So some of those songs I would have written a year or two before that. So quite a lot of time has passed and I've been writing a lot of music. Yeah. That's exciting. And then I know we've just come out of the summer period, but are you already looking at after this tour, maybe getting a new EP out in the new year, then getting ready for festivals again and getting out as much as you can? Yeah. I think this album took too long to, yeah come out you know it's like from from my point of view it was too long you know I, I have these songs and it feels weird to 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 be sitting on them it doesn't feel right um and that i hope that doesn't sound self-important it's more just like for a personal thing it's like having too many clothes in your room or something it like kind of fills your headspace and we, yeah if i if i get my way and we can manage to make it work i think It'd be great to get new music out as as soon as possible, really. You know, as soon as the kind of is appropriate. Awesome. And my final question for you, and I ask this to every guest that's come on, it doesn't matter if it's an actor, director, film star or musician, you get to choose the last song that's played. Um, so after our interview is all edited for the world ready to listen to, you get to choose that last song that's played. It can be by any band, any piece of music, but a song that means a lot to you. And I'm putting you on the spot. It's not fucking easy. Um, I think that I, a song that I'm obsessed with um, at the moment, which is the easiest way for me to do this, um, would be um neutral milk hotel um king of carrot flowers i think it's called awesome yeah. is this just because it's a song that you just fell in love with and can't get enough of yeah i've listened to it kind of every day for the past three weeks yeah it's the first thing i do i get up and i go for a walk and i put this someone in, in my headphones and um i'm not sick of it yet what I love when I do this podcast on nearly 300 episodes is I've had everyone come on. No one's ever picked the same song, but sometimes you get people picking the Beatles or Rolling Stones or Nirvana. But I've not heard who you said, so I will now spend the next few days editing that into this episode. And then I'll probably go and spend the next week listening to just so much more and discovering this band. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited because I've never heard them. Yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel. You might have, you know, you might be surprised. It's, I think they're one of those bands where you go, oh, wait. 
I kind of that you know, song, yeah. I was like, I kind of know this, and then when I actually listened, I was, yeah, can't get enough. Awesome, man! Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I know it was meant to happen over a week ago, but it's great that we finally um, had our paths meet. And I'll make sure I come to the show in November in Birmingham and check you out. And I look forward to it. And I'm really excited. I feel like the album for you, like you said, came out quite late, so it might not feel stale, but it might be like, oh, it's been around for two years. So I'm hoping yeah. that we get new music in the new year, and then it feels completely new and inspiring for you. And we kind of get to see some more supports or another headline tour and new music as soon as possible. Thanks, man. That's very sweet. Me too. <laughs> nice one, mate. Take it easy. It's So there it is. There's my interview with me and Willie. What a great guy. So grounded, so down to earth, so humble and just a lovely guy. An absolute pleasure to interview and I had so much fun. And as I said at the start of today's interview, I won't sit here and lie and claim that I've known him all my life. I'm a huge fan from the start. I've only just recently discovered him, but his music's phenomenal. And as I said, his brand new album, which is out now called Bunny, is really worthy of your time. So please go and check it out and then let me know on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or drop me an email on what you think because I love reading people's feedback. I make sure I go out of my way to reply to every Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, every message I ever get, I will always take the time to give you a reply. So if you've enjoyed the episode or any of the other episodes, please hit me up. All the links are on markandme.com and it really means a lot. Also, if you're listening today and you want to help Mark and me, there's a couple of ways you can do this. Firstly, I have a Patreon account and again, the link's on markandme.com. I can't do this podcast without the support on there. I know times are hard. I know money's tight, but you can literally sign up for as little as £1 a month. For that, you're guaranteed at least two episodes a week, an exclusive episode called The Lost Tapes, which is just for people on Patreon, a welcome pack which comes with stickers and badges, a newsletter every month and just so much more. And it's my way of saying thank you for supporting me. But all the money that comes in via Patreon goes right back into the podcast. It allows me to travel the country, go to festivals, go to gigs, go to film screenings and then get access to the stars to interview and then give you guys at home loads and loads of podcasts to listen to. So that's the only way I can sustain this. Also, if you want to share the episode, that's the best thing you can do. It costs you absolutely nothing to do and you'd literally hit the retweet button or share button or put it on your Instagram stories. There might be someone out there that went to see the Arctic Monkeys or Florence and the Machine and then suddenly remembers Willie J. Healy and then suddenly they're listening to this podcast, they think this is great they go back and listen then to biffy clyro ash incubus whoever it is and that's the best way to spread the word i don't have this budget where i can go and pay for these campaigns on twitter and facebook and try and get a better algorithm it's all about word of mouth and that's worked really well for mark and me now for seven years so i really do urge and really ask you all to carry on supporting me and sharing these episodes 
Just before I go, I want to give a big shout out to Richer Sounds and Folio Society, the lead sponsors of Mark and Me. Without those guys, I couldn't do this. And stay tuned on my socials in the next few days for a fantastic giveaway from Folio Society. Right, I've got to go because I'm just about to release a brand new video on my YouTube channel. If you're listening now and haven't checked it out, go on there, put some thumbs up, go and subscribe to the channel. I'm bringing you some amazing interviews exclusive for YouTube very soon. So until next time, listen to Willie J. Healy, take care of yourself, keep warm, and I'll speak to you all very soon.